This is a Broad Pods production. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Danny Riley. And I'm Dan Riley, and together we run Manamade. In this podcast, we have decided that we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into some of the things that mean more to us that we weren't able to share within the web series. We've got a little bit more time up our sleeves. We're going to have some killer guests in throughout the series, some amazing experts, and really talk about what's important to us on the journey to build our dream home. For Dan and I, building a home that was as sustainable as possible was our number one priority. So in each episode, we will also highlight these features as a standalone topic. We know that the most important part of a house is when it actually becomes your home. So in each episode of the pod, Dan and I will be giving you a sneak peek into these intimate spaces that made our house a home for us. Welcome back to All Manner of Things, the Blagari House, Dan. We are up to episode six. Halfway. Halfway. Yeah, good. We're just over halfway. Just over. Well, we're actually <laughs> up to lock up on this web series, which is huge for us. Huge for us, especially considering where we were at at that point in time. We were smack bang in the middle of COVID and there was a few months there where we were heavily restricted around numbers on site. Yeah. So our project schedule... She blew out at that point. A little bit, yeah. Mm. I mean, the beauty of lockup is, as I say on the web series, you don't have to deal with weather anymore. Mm. No rain can get in, the wind's not howling through and causing havoc. So it's such a relief for a builder to get to this point. And as a client, generally, it's a stage payment from the bank. It is a stage payment. (laughs) And for a client as well, it's really when you start to see how those spaces are actually coming together. You know, the frame is well and truly done. The exterior cladding is on. So then you get a sense of, you know, that outside light is is gone, blocked out. You get a sense of how the room is actually going to feel. Plastering is kind of starting slowly, all the insulation's in, so acoustically you get a better sense of, yeah. of, of what's happening within the home and you can no longer hear one tradesperson who's right down in the corner of the house, you know, all the way to the other end of the house. So then that kind of starts to feel a bit more real. I reckon that's one of the most impactful things that can happen on a site. I agree. Is when you plaster walls because yeah. since then, I mean, once your slab goes down or your subfloor, you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Then the frame goes out, wow, that's that's amazing. But when the plaster goes on, you actually really feel like you're in a room. Yeah. And that's an exciting time, really. And I think back, because obviously we insulated the house ourselves. I did yeah. say in our last project when we were insulating the ceiling that I would never do that again. Yet we have done it again, and we've done it to about six times the scale of the last build. But that was a handful of weekends. Yeah. Dad and I, you were there doing some carpentry work as mm. well, and then you were suiting up occasionally as well. But Dad and I were there. It was the middle of winter. 
as well. It but was. holy moly, were we getting hot? It was hot once we started insulating those walls. Okay, yeah, once the once the home started, <laughs> the exterior insulation went in. It really contained the heat. Yeah, and because we got so much glazing, all that winter sun was coming in and heating it up. Yeah. It was we're like, oh wow, it's working. We were hot in those sperm suits. <laughs> you were. We were very hot. <laughs> the glasses were getting fogged up. It was a great bonding experience though for Roscoe and yeah. I. Yeah. Well, I guess while you guys were um, insulating the home, mm. I was going around room by room and going over every little fine detail that I could think of because yep. this is when it matters before you plaster. Yes. If the frame's slightly out or not level or a junction's not going to line up, you're not going to be able to fix it after plastering. Or you can, yeah. but it's going to cost time and money. Was this about the time where I kind of changed the height of the shaving cabinets about three or four times within the space of eight hours or something? This was on a Sunday at... I'm pretty sure. M- Sunday midday, you guys were insulating. <laughs> I just pretty much finished most of the carpentry ready for plastering, which was happening at 7am the next day. <laughs> and you decided to raise all the shaving cabinet heights on me. Yes. Which means I, <laughs> I had about five hours of alterations to do. And, geez, I took that well. Oh, yes, as always. <laughs> I took it real well. Oh, but it was so good, you know, working through and actually getting that insulated. It was a massive weekend. And I remember we were so busy at the time. Our business was very busy during COVID. Everything, mm. everyone wanted everything now. So we were so busy with our day jobs. Yes. <laughs> we were then coming to Blagowry every spare hour to do what we could. Uh, thank goodness for family. I'll just say that. Family, when you're doing your own project, are your biggest supporters. Call on all the favours if you're doing it yourself. But (laughs) you know what? Hire a building. You don't have to worry about doing it yourself. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But what I kind of wanted to have a bit more of a chat about in this episode today, Dan, was we talk a lot about, in the web series episode, this being the time for the things that you can't change. So Mm -hmm. this is when the fix is kind of starting to happen or the fit out is starting to happen. You know, the tiles are starting to go on the walls. All the taps are already selected. All of those things that you can't change and the final details that you need to work through that are starting to go up around you. And we talk about a few of those things in detail in the web series episode. So make sure you head on to the link in the show notes to catch yourself up on that. But even before, like even at probably lock-up stage, I'll be making sure with, you know, either you designers or the client, are you sure you're set on this tile? Because I need to know thicknesses, sizes for everything to line up. Well, that's many, many, many weeks before now. But I'm just saying, like, (laughs) that's when a builder, I really need to know that things won't be changing from here on in because I might have to alter a niche height or a tap height to suit the tiles because I want grout lines, I want everything lining up. Mm. Well, I'm exhausted just rehashing over that. That was a huge day. Lots of different things happened, right, to get us to this point. That was a huge day. You're right. There was a lot going on, a lot of trades, but you got to do it. You do. A lot of things to cover off. Now we are joined by a very, very special guest. We have one of our own amazing employees in with us today, Nikki from Manamade, our interior designer. So thank you for coming in. Hi, guys. How are you going? Thanks for taking time off from our business to come in and talk. <laughs> Pleasure. My employers let me be here, which was really nice of them. So. I heard they're really great. <laughs> I want to know, Nikki and Danny, what is the difference between an interior decorator, an interior designer... And what was the other one you said? <laughs> a stylist. A stylist. I think I know what a stylist is. I think I understand. But can you explain it to me, please, Nikki? I guess it's it's quite nuanced, isn't it? I would say a stylist is anyone that is coming in and creating a feeling for a space once everything's been uh, 
built and designed. Um, it can be anywhere from soft furnishings, rugs, sofas, artwork, mm. um, but it can also be um, making a space feel lived in or making it feel like, you know, <laughs> making it <laughs> feel right. lived you had in. It. You had it. Yeah, yeah, you had it. And I think also, Dan, you could probably look at maybe the way that we tackle our photo shoots, for example, or when we shoot our completed projects. So we'll mm. collect a whole heap of items for the day, whether they be exactly what Nikki said, soft furnishings, it might be artwork, it might be vase, decor, exactly. Mm. And we're coming in and we're styling the space. So we're setting the space, for example, and isn't then we're shooting it, it. Isn't that an interior decorator as well? An interior decorator, definitely there are crossovers, but an interior decorator may also be the one actually purchasing or specifying those projects as well. An interior decorator will have a hand in the window furnishings for a project. They may do some uh, layout configurations of the furniture in the room, and that's where an interior decorator can cross over into some elements of interior design more broadly speaking around the furnishings and the specification of furnishings though. It is a qualification to be an interior decorator though mm -hmm. as well, but an interior decorator is very much not an interior designer, which is a completely separate qualification. Okay, so Nikki, tell me what an interior designer is. An interior designer is probably stepping on the threshold between architectural building design and an interior decorator. So they bring the spaces together, they can work mm -hmm on anything from spatial layouts and designs to joinery designs, giving you the ideal kitchen so it'll flow right, choosing um, more of those finishes that can't be changed as easily. So tiles and flooring and cladding on walls, things like that. And then they also cover the interior decoration component and they mm -hmm. can cover the styling oh, component. Uh, that, yeah. That's starting to make sense. Yeah. To me. So then why wouldn't everyone hire an interior designer? Because you always, I see a lot of plans getting around now that don't show the finishes inside the home. Like try and explain to me why people don't see the value in this when at the end of the day, it matters probably more than anything. Yeah. Look, I think this is historically based. So I think historically there's this notion of I cannot for afford the luxury of hiring an interior designer to resolve my interior spaces. And someone would rely on either their draftsperson, their building designer, their architect, or their mate who's good with interiors mm, to assist. Their stylist. Or they'll have a nervous breakdown during their build because they're forced into this uncomfortable position of having to do all of these things themselves when they actually don't have the skill set to do so. So I think there's a, a little bit of that involved. However, as you say, if you're appointing a builder, on a project and a builder's picking up a set of plans and there's all these unknowns, that's when the costs can start to build up on the other side. Yeah. Also, sometimes people just don't know. Yeah. Like you were asking, they don't know the difference between each. They don't know the skill sets for each. Mm. And sometimes it's just such an overwhelming thing that they're like, you know, I'll hire an architect or I'll hire a builder and they say they can do it all. Mm -hmm. And you don't realise until you're in the thick of it that maybe you needed assistance in some other areas. Yeah. Well, when they start seeing, you know, the mixes and all that and the go against the tiles, it doesn't match. They're like, uh oh, what have we done? Because we just listened to the builder. But I'm going to give you the builder's perspective on why <laughs> oh, please do. an interior designer <laughs> is critical because yeah. at the quoting stage, when it's been specified, everything, I can give an accurate quote. 
Whereas if you just yep. estimate or guessing what's going to go in, you're not going to get an accurate, accurate quote. But also... With an interior design set, everything's labelled for me. Heights, everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I know where the tower rail's going. I know where the toilet roll holder's going. On an architectural plans, we've just got to make this up. Well, I and, mean... And that's the difference for a builder. And we have a project currently where we are custom making handles, for example, and Nikki has detailed mm. the handle for the joiner. That wouldn't have been done. And then there would be time and money later on that would be on charge to the client for having to determine that. And what you just said was exactly what what I was going to pick up on. If we get a set of plans from an architect or a building designer or, or a drafts person, whoever it might be, to quote, there's nothing specified on the interior Therefore, it cannot be costed or an allowance can be costed for it. It's provisional. Therefore, it's going to cost you more (laughs) under construction. So what you think might be a luxury at that time will actually result in saving you a considerable amount of money Mm. come the actual build time. I always say that a well-designed space is a space that you don't notice what's happening in there. Mm. If It's our job to sort of look at the details and really zoom in on everything. So it's not until you're building it or till you're in the house mm. if something's mass produced without someone looking over that, that you realise when you open the dishwasher and you open the fridge, those doors mm. hit each other. Mm. So it's our job to focus on those things. And I think when things are designed well, you don't even notice. They just work. Work. Yeah. When yeah. you're noticing things hitting things, you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is badly designed. Who's done this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's also, Nikki, like with how we work together, things on site can sometimes be different. But we workshop things as we're going through the project. And if you don't have an interior designer, it's just left to the builder to make a decision and nine times out of ten it might not be the right one. Yes. I don't want to throw builders under the bus, but we'll probably try and take the easier way out. The path of least resistance. Yeah, when really you you want to be doing what's right for the client and what's best for the space. Yeah, which is understandable. You know, Mm. it's not a builder's job to focus on that. They're juggling a lot Mm. of other things. They may be, you know, thinking what's the fastest, most cost-effective way I can get this done. Mm. Sometimes that's great (laughs) and sometimes... (laughs) Most of the time it's not great and Mm. it, it definitely will come back on us. So another question to you too, I, I guess, is when you get a client, what if they've got a different vision to you guys of what you're trying to do design? Like, how do you get around that? Well, ultimately, the client's vision becomes our vision. Clients come to us because they're drawn to our business or firm for our aesthetic basically. So we're never going to get a client who has a wildly different vision for their project than what we would be able to deliver or what our vision for the project might be as well. But it's our responsibility to interpret their vision in a formalised approach in the form of basically determining their overall brief and requirements and then building on their vision to conceptualise the space. Mm. And then ultimately they'll be walking through the door and go, this is exactly what I was imagining. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of it is about collecting information from them. They've got some hard and fast ideas of what they need and what they want. And then sometimes there's also they don't know what they need or what Mm. they want, whether it's just because we have a lot more experience, you know, building lots of houses and interiors, we can see things that consistently work or don't work. So we collect as much information as we can from the clients to understand their ideal home. Mm. And then we take that information and we put it together with our skill set to create something that works for them. So sometimes there's things that they think they might not want, mm, but once you do. talk through it, as long as you understand what they're needing at a base level and you've created that trust with them, 
that they trust your opinion, you can give them things that they didn't even know they needed. And vice versa. You know, sometimes we will challenge a client. They'll put something forward. We will firmly believe that it's not either right for this project or going Mm. to work how they are thinking it might work. And it's our job to be able to bring everyone down together to get the result that that we need. Yeah. Mm. And I think when there's challenges on either side, us challenging a client or the client challenging us, that's how you get the best design. Mm. If you get yep. to design everything as your first vision and everything smoothly runs from start to finish, it ends up being a pretty boring space. That's mm. why it's exciting to yeah. do alterations and additions because you're working with existing conditions or existing challenges mm. and it makes you design better. It makes you think outside the box and create things that you may not have come to initially when you were thinking of a design. Yeah, Yeah. and just on that, I've heard that same statement at least three times in the last eight weeks. The first draft is never the final. So the first draft is never, ever what eventuates in anything in life, ever. (laughs) (laughs) What's blowing my mind hearing all this, why wouldn't a client just get an interior designer from the start? Because I'm just thinking, how is anyone else going to know all this? Yeah, and look, I will definitely still come back to the fact of clients are trying to control costs of a project from the get-go and they will only go with what they deem is the most required elements at that point in time. They feel that what we do is actually a luxury, even though what we've just discussed, it, it's actually not. It's it's more of a necessity if you're trying to build a fully resolved space and don't have a full-time capacity to do that because it is a full-time job yeah. to design the interior of your home. And I think a lot of other um, areas of the industry like to say that they can deliver on the interiors. <laughs> no, you don't need to put money towards that. We'll do that for Nikki's you. Nikki's throwing shade. <laughs> <laughs> From a place of love, guys. Oh, of course. I'll, I'll love. put my hand up. I know I definitely couldn't do it because it'd just be white plastered walls with probably grey <laughs> tiles everywhere. That's you love all. to say that, but I actually don't think that would be what would eventuate <laughs> if not. you did I've your seen, own home. I have seen enough now to know the different exactly. materials and I, textures. I would say on site as well, Dan, when we talk to you about details, you get right into it. No, you I, yeah. think laterally. I think you come up with really great solutions that are exciting. You're yeah. a good builder. Well, oh, it's, thank you. It's I'm playing their, my role. That's the builder's role. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the builder's role to execute our design. Yeah. Yeah. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, so can you two explain to me the process that Man and May do if they're going to employ you guys as interior designers? You too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm the build side. Well, look, obviously every interior design firm or studio is going to have overall a similar process, but how it's broken down stage by stage will definitely vary between studio. Our general approach, depending on what you appoint us for, whether it's just interior design or if it's building design, interior design, or building design, interior design and construction, there's a process that varies for all of those things. But if we're talking about interior design specifically, we have a seven-stage process. So stage one, I guess the key things that we deliver on would be a briefing, uh, project briefing requirements, and then that site investigation process. So that's where we'd go out to see a home 
basically determine the existing conditions. Yeah, and it's also where we collect all that information we were talking about earlier. So it's where we start understanding what the clients need, what the clients want, what they think they want that they might not necessarily need (laughs) and determining the scope of the project. Arguably, stage one is the most important stage because that's where we are setting that project brief and requirements. Stage two. So stage two works through more of the schematic design and feasibility study of the process. So that look and feel, how it's going to kind of, when you walk through the front door, what's going to greet you? Initial imagery to get the client on board with what we're seeing as the vision for the space. Yeah. And in terms of feasibility, this is where we review kind of potential costings of the project and how feasible what we're putting forward is actually going to be. So stage three is where we start to get into the real nuts and bolts and start to look at the actual interior concept design. So this is probably the best stage. It definitely is. Yeah, it's the (laughs) most fun. (laughs) And so as part of this, we would produce a presentation set as well as preliminary materials and finishes and stuff like that. There'd be a bunch of beautiful renders, rough floor plan sketches. I think this is probably a key stage for us that we um, work a little differently than some other firms because of those coloured renders. People can see the space and how we're, we're suggesting the materials are applied so they can really get an understanding rather than just seeing, you know, some stone in front of them. They can see where it's going to be and how it's going to look in the space because sometimes that's the biggest thing. Clients aren't used to seeing 2D black and white sketches and being able to see it in a 3D space. So we get a lot of information across for the design in this stage. Yeah. So stage four and five are all about producing the actual documentation associated with the project, but they do differ slightly in terms of how detailed they are. So stage four in a technical term, is design development. So that's when we take that concept design and we start to develop the design out and pull together preliminary construction drawings for the project. So they're not fully detailed because there's plenty to still be resolved as we move through the project, but that's where that preliminary plan set is drafted or documented and all of the schedules as well for the project. So the finishes schedule, the fitting schedule, all of those things. So once we have a full design development set, we would redo that kind a costing position to determine if how the project has evolved is still going to fall in line with that original cost position that was set at the start of the project. Because sometimes when we're at this stage, it's where things start creeping. Mm. We've proposed a few pieces of joinery and then as we're talking to the clients, you're like, wouldn't it be amazing if we did a a (laughs) floor to ceiling, a fireplace with marble and a plinth and like built-in seating? And we're like, yeah, sure. (laughs) We would love to do that, but let's get it costed with all this extra information in and see if we're still on task. And if you really want that fireplace based on the the cost that's going to come back or if maybe that's something that we leave out. Yeah, exactly. Provisional for later on maybe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And also not just about that, but it's also the time that's elapsed between perhaps conceptualisation and then starting to dock the project. So as we move through into stage five, which is construction documentation, this is where there are no more changes allowed. So anything that comes off the back of design development changes either by the client or that might be value driven um, due to budget is where we would incorporate into the construction documentation and all doc is finalised, including all schedules. We would be coordinating with the architect or the building designer or drafts person on this stage as well to make sure that all documentation is correct in all of the sets. And that's where we would then move into stage six, which is 
Project Tender. I'll just add to stage five that that's when we generally have our lighting design locked in as well. So whether we send the client to lighting designers that we work with and we also propose, you know, feature pendants and and wall sconces. We take them through all of that. We work out how they like to use the space, how the space should be lit. Are there any feature areas or that special fireplace stone that we want to light? And that's all locked in by Mm. that stage as well. Because as part of that, that's where the thermal assessor will also rework their energy report based on the lighting plan finalised because you know, ceiling penetrations, all of that kind of stuff needs to be taken into account in the final energy rating for the home. So stage six then basically is the big culmination of all of that documentation and it goes out to formal tender. Or if it's us doing the build, we would then cost the project. It's also, I guess, the building permit stage where the actual building permit is issued. And then the design team provide ongoing project support through that stage, which, I mean, in our experience, Nikki, that's shop drawings, for example... Anything else to do with the interior could be re-specification if there's lead time issues or something's not available, all of that kind of stuff. So in stage six, Nikki, this is also where you and I collaborate daily, nearly on jobs. It is, it is. It's where also you start working through things, as you were saying earlier, you know, a space may be slightly different or we hear back that there's shade over a certain area or something needs to be pulled off the fence. And so on the fly, this is where we need to have flex on the interiors and say, you know, well, that joinery needs to be moved a little or on a project we're working on at the moment. Curtains. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) Curtains in the windows, but also in that pantry. So we've had to work on lowering the ceiling because Mm. we found that the bulkheads with all of the overhead joinery didn't look tidy, didn't feel nice. So we've lowered that ceiling And in that, you know, I guess, decision, we're thinking, do we need a skylight there to add Mm. in extra light into the project, which is, as a team, we back and forth and find these things and work through them. Yeah, I think once the structure's up and we walk through it and see it and we've got the client there with us, all three of us can make a really good decision, which is a better outcome for the the product of the home at the end of the day. Yeah, that's right. When everyone's working towards the common goal. Yeah. And it's very exciting for the client to start seeing everything come together on site, I think. It is because that's when literally the walls are up and things actually start to come to life. So the last stage, stage seven, that's when we'll work through any furniture, object, art procurement or specification and procurement. So again, another fun kind of conceptual stage of the project where we kind of get to go shopping. (laughs) And if anyone, I guess, that's the other thing. People might think that it's a luxury to have a designer, a decorator or a stylist. However, we have access to costs on items that the Mm. general public won't. So you are always ahead. Mm. You are saving money. So you're paying a fee for someone to assist in the specification and purchase of this, but you're then saving that on the cost of the items being purchased. So, yeah, Mm. and you're getting a completely refined resolved space. And it also means you're not going to get a sofa delivered after two months of waiting and it not fit in a room. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. So That's our responsibility. (laughs) It's considering the, the space as well. And I think it's also liaising with suppliers because particularly at the moment in this post-COVID world, lead times Mm. are wild. 20 weeks. Exactly. Mm. So it's managing Even for Australian-made products. Yeah. Yeah, So it's managing client expectations, but it's also back and forthing and following people up or that is no longer available. How can we switch that out and, Mm. and being quite fluid with that 
as well. So that was a very, very high level in a nutshell, um, I guess, stage by stage overview of what our interior process is. And as I said, that differs can differ significantly Mm. from firm to firm. What else can differ significantly is the cost that you'll pay to hire an interior designer. Some people would charge upwards of $500 an hour or a overall project fee that might be a percentage of the cost of the project. Um, That's similar with a furniture package, for example. You might pay a percentage of what the furniture budget is, um, plus perhaps a baseline fee. It's determined in many, many different ways. So there's lots of different levels. It's like low end, low to medium, medium, medium to high, high. There is, it's a vast scale. Uh, I will say, One big no-no, if you're not hiring an interior designer, a stylist or a decorator, don't buy all your furniture to match from the same place. (laughs) Go and I'll have that entire setting, thanks. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Gone are the days of furniture packages where everything matches. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) So as we've worked through this project, and I guess a key theme through this entire podcast series has been about sustainability. So sustainability, I guess, let's bring it back to this project specifically and how we work within our business, Manor Made. So on this project, there was a very, very um, deliberate attempt to make sure that everything we were specifying was from businesses and suppliers that have a very strong sustainability thread through their business, that that's a very big ethic and value for them and also around sourcing uh, furniture and art and decor that is Australian made, handmade, made locally to some degree. So we're ultimately reducing our own individual carbon footprint. Sometimes it can be really overwhelming for people to understand what is sustainable, you know, what's the FSC rating and, Mm. you know, how does it thermally work, but a really easy way for people to understand or make mindful selections that are sustainable is just to buy locally, Mm. whether it is within your own city or Australian, Australia-wide. So it means you're not having things shipped from overseas, so there's a lot of carbon offsets for that. But also it means you're not going to have a year lead time generally as well. And we do have really beautiful furniture products in Australia and flooring and tiles and but a really easy way for clients to to make a sustainable choice is just to buy Australian. And a lot of people wouldn't actually instinctively understand why just buying locally would make such a significant difference on the sustainability front. And I think a good way or an easy way to look at it is how many hands would physically touch that item if it were to come from the middle of China or the middle of Europe or wherever it's coming from versus here in Australia. And of course, we are now at that time of the episode where we talk about what makes the house a home to us. And Nikki, I'm going to keep you in for this one today because we're very curious to see what you have to say. So for me today, I think let's maybe look at it as in the space that feels most resolved in terms of its design and functionality because both of those things have to work hand in hand together. Mm. So, I mean... What do you think, Nikki? What's your favourite space of the home with those things taken into account? That's such a difficult question because <laughs> I've been there many a time and every space is beautiful. I would say probably the main bathroom is my favourite. Ah. I think it's because 
people don't realise what goes into a bathroom to make it feel effortless. Mm-hmm. And that understated luxury where something feels beautiful and makes you feel like you're transported away on a holiday without being overrun with stuff is a really, it's a really special skill. You know, the handmade tiles in there and the stone and the bath with the curtains behind it, I just, I love that space. I love going in there. That's so nice. (laughs) We've actually not, we've never said that in the pod yet today. So that's interesting. What about you, Dan? Well, I'm going to keep to the theme of sort of what Nikki went on. I actually love the powder room downstairs. Okay. I spent a bit of time in there. (laughs) And I, I love seeing the burnished floor. And then we've got the nice polished marmorino wall. It just blends mm. so nicely. And then we've got the shaving cabinet, the nice joinery. So it all just works. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice lighting in there too. It's not overexposed, which is you don't want that in a powder room either. It's beautiful, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it does nice have wall that, light. that soft light it's from very... an Australian supplier and go. maker. Exactly. Yeah. I am going to say the space that I am in the most which would be the home office downstairs. So there's also a lot of things within that room that are sustainable within themselves, which is the joinery material, the brickwork as well, um, the windows. So there's a lot in there that that culminate for me. So, and I'm in there every day. <laughs> so I would say the home office. Mm. Uh, well, thank you, Nikki, so much for coming in today. We really appreciate that. Thanks again for joining us on All Manner of Things. We'll see you next time. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.